This podcast is presented by Rabbi Peretz Muchkin, speaking to the millennial generation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Rabbi Peretz podcast. We began this series on joy with a concept of joy as a status. The idea was that if you uncover your soul, i.e. your unique individual identity, you will find a state of perpetual joy just in the being of yourself, essentially uncovering your inner child. So to summarize, joy means being yourself. Today, I want to further the discussion and I want to discuss how to have joy in who you are. This will allow you to deal with the results of the highs and lows of any particular event and happenings in your life. I also want to iterate, this idea is about being happy through non-conformity. Parts of life need to be communal and amicable, but you have to learn how to be you. Otherwise, you will have a hard time being consistently happy. In addition, if you can find joy in your being, then life events and their results can be hard to stack, let alone to build upon them. So this model of not only finding joy in who you are, but being able to build upon those results as you grow in your life is very much seen in the Purim story. Purim is a holiday that's going to be celebrated this coming Thursday. This year is March 21st. Well, the 20th at night and the 21st by day. The story of Purim is quite unmiraculous, yet it's the most impactful in our history. As seen by our name, of, by the name of our religion, Judaism, which came from this story. Now, Purim is immortalized and is greater than even Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. In fact, the name Yom Kippur can be translated as the day, Yom, Kippurim, like Purim. So why is Purim great? And how is it great? Because the idea of Purim is to uncover the real you. So in Yom Kippur, we fast and we don't act physical, to uncover the soul. And it's a holiday, so we're supposed to be happy on Yom Kippur. But it is not as great as Purim, because on Purim we do the same. But this time we do it in the physical, through eating and drinking, through celebrating. Since the world is physical, finding your soul while being physical is higher than when you find yourself through abstinence. So what makes Purim so happy, holy, and gay is simply the ultimate joy of being a Jew. The story began with conformity. We ate and we drank with the king. So one lens was, check us out. We made it. We hanging out with the celebs. The other lens is, we gave up our identity to be there. We gave a lot of ourselves. We lost a lot of ourselves because we just wanted acceptance from the celebs more than we wanted to be our actual self, our actual being. How does the story end? It ends with us changing the narrative. We stop trying to fit in and we uncover our Jewish souls, thus uncovering the joy of self. So not only did this propel us forward, it revealed the true nature of a Jewish person is to be ourselves while contributing to the world. In consumption, the first part of the story, there was no clear person. There was no clear Jewish identity. So the king and Haman was very easy to fear the unknown. Who are these people? What do they want? They're just different. 
Thus, the great hate and the desire to get rid of the Jewish person. But by the end of this story, where we're not looking at the Jew by their, by their consumption, but by their contribution in the form of Mordechai saving the king or Esther being a hero and galvanizing the people, we became not only contributors to society, but not only our enemies were subdued, but we developed a holiday that immortalizes the concept of being us is how we contribute and find our joy constantly. So on Purim, we celebrate in the physical. We even dress up to show that the outside, our, con our consumption side, is not the real us. It's the contributing, non-conformist, non-consumer that is constantly happy within who they are. So on Purim, we contribute. We give charity, we give gifts to our friends, and we celebrate. So come celebrate with us Purim this coming holiday here in Venice Beach. That is just a Snapchat of what this holiday is about. I encourage you to go online, check out what Purim is, its history, some of our last podcasts. We mentioned different parts of it. Incredible holiday with an idea of really finding oneself and really being happy about it. I have a brother. Some people think he's my twin, but he's eight years younger than I am. You would be the better looking twin. Uh, my bro, Couldn't Zalmi. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well, you're, you're, you're single, so I feel like it's important to call you the better looking twin here. All right. So he was as happy as I've ever seen him. He's generally a very happy guy, always bringing great comic relief to uh, a family of 11. But he was very happy, especially last summer when he came back from Israel. And I just really thought it would be great to have you on the podcast and talk about it. Welcome to the podcast, Z. Hey, Paris. How's it going? Oh, it's fantastic, Thank bro. you for having me. It's long overdue. Long overdue, huh? Yeah, right. Well, you know, we just started this thing. <laughs> we'll see how you do. Well, I just want to give people a little background to who you are. You are kind of a food entrepreneur. You've done a lot of different uh, types of food industry things. And uh, from uh, owning your own shop to working at shops to consulting on shops, you did incredible things. Tell me, how'd you get into food, man? Oh, well, kind of like yourself. I grew up in it, you know. Our father had a pizza shop growing up, and it was just an environment that, to me, came fluid and naturally. Well, to be honest, eight years older than you, when the pizza shop started, I was actually in high school already, and it was kind of a nuisance. Like, I had to go after school and help, and on the weekends help. It felt like, like... I thought in high school, I finally get to like slack off and find my own way. And instead it was like, oh my God, I've got to help out constantly. You, eight years younger, it was sort of like different. I think, I think it was different clearly because you have a whole different experience. It caused a whole different reaction from you. Well, I mean, my experience in food was like most people where it was a very chaotic environment where everybody was running and rushing and a lot of sort of like heavy attitude. And for me, I kind of felt very like the opposite. I was never stressed in the food environment. I always understood what needed to be done and how to do it. And it came very naturally to me where to others it was intense. To me, this was sort of my meditation. This was my way of being relaxed and being, being truly joyous and happy. So at the end of this journey, you became an expert coffee roaster. I love when you bring me coffee here. You bring me coffee this trip? Oh, absolutely. Oh, my gosh. You didn't, did you? Oh, it's coming today with Tati. <laughs> oh, it's coming today. Okay, great. Um, so how'd you get into coffee? Like, I mean, I love coffee. How'd you get into coffee? Well, interestingly enough, I actually left the food business for a short window of time. And during that time, I was like, I'm not doing anything with food. I need to do something with food. So my friends and I had this idea. It was actually my idea with some friends. And we were like, we should get a coffee machine and start roasting. And it started as this way to sort of hang out with my friends after work. We got a coffee roaster and I had this cool room in the back of a bakery and started delivering to some customers nice. and it grew. That's so cool. 
Well, uh, I know, I know that as you kept going with this, you built your own coffee shop. You, you did some really wild stuff. By the way, I never told you thank you for coming on opening day of my coffee shop. That was yeah, really special. Yeah, that's right. You're welcome. I'll take it publicly. Sorry to interrupt. Go. Good times. Well, we were very proud of you uh, getting your business up and going. But then uh, tell me what happened. You went to Israel. How'd that happen? So I actually, on uh, my Passover break last year, uh, uh, I guess the shop closed. is closed, right? Passover. For Passover. And, I, and I went to Israel. And on um, one of the days I was in Israel, I went with a friend to Hebron, which is this uh, oh, one of the Hev- four holy cities in yeah. Israel. Hebron is uh, not a place everybody visits because it's uh, considered in hostile territory, but it's really a special place. The matriarchs and patriarchs are buried there. So it's got the resting place of Abraham. It's an extremely unique place. I've uh, been there many times. So when I was there, I did not actually stop at the restaurant. There's one restaurant in Hebron, and it's right in the center of town. Uh, instead, I Who's went by- Who's it for? The, Just like tourists? Or it's for do, do tourists, locals, go? Um, locals, and um, actually there's a high concentration of soldiers there. Mm. And a lot of the soldiers go there to shop. They sell cigarettes there, and they sell food there, and some candy there, and a lot of different, you know, sort of- it's the all purpose. So you it's, went you went essentially to go visit this place of the patriarchs and then you went in to grab a bite to eat. Well, actually no. I went to meet the rabbi. That's what I do. <laughs> I come to the to the holy city and I was like I want to meet the rabbi and say, "Wow, what you're doing is amazing." He's and known to be a cool dude. He's known to be pretty cool dude. Got to be cool on the fire there. No Absolutely. pun intended. And the first thing he says to me upon hearing my name is, "Did you have a pizza shop growing up?" And ah. I said, "Absolutely, I did." And he goes, "Well, do I have a job for you? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean a job? I'm here on vacation. And he said, well, I just bought the pizza shop. And after I bought it, I was like, what does a rabbi have to do with a pizza shop? Answer, nothing. So here you are. You show up at my steps. This is obviously divine providence. Can you help God me sent out? You. Can yeah, you help me out? Of course, God sent you here. Help me out. And I just looked at him dead in the eyes and said, no. <laughs> um, and he said, well, no is the only answer I won't take. And I said, you know what? Hear me out. I said, I'm leaving after Passover, but I have a few days before I leave. I'll come and give you a hand. Cool. And that's where it started. How long did you end up staying? Seven months. What? Uh, another time we'll talk about what happened to all your commitments back home. But oh, this reality, is not the time? Tell me what really, what kept you there? What really, I mean, obviously you gave them good recipes, made them good pizza, set up a system. All that stuff you could have done in the week or the couple of days that you promised. What, what kept you there? So I really, when I got there, I thought this would be like a simple, I could stay for a few days. I could do some consulting on the side. I could help you out with a few recipes, things of that nature. But then I realized that there was something about the contribution to what I was doing there that I wasn't getting anywhere else. There was sort of, I felt like I was talking. Take a step back. Um, You mentioned before there are soldiers there and things like that and tourists, et cetera. So I'm getting that this shop, as much as it is about selling pizza, there's also like this idea that it's a, it's a place for a lot of types of people that come together. Tell me, you're saying contribution. What type of contribution does this shop make? So when I got there, they introduced me to this concept that they were trying to implement in the shop where people from all over the world that come as a tourist or even via online, they can purchase food and give it directly to the soldiers. Essentially, no soldier should have to pay for their food, especially if they cannot afford it. That's so cool. Absolutely. And this was one of those things we never really spoke about in the shop, but like a soldier came in, whether we had free pizza for him or not, he ate for free. 
if that's what was necessary, that's what happened. Essentially, there's this culture of soldiers being 20 years old and and uh, living out on their own, and they they get hungry, man. And they're uh, just like us. They're they're people. And so, one second, you're telling me that a tourist would come in, buy pie pizza for him and the people he's with, and then be like, "Hey, I want to sponsor pie for soldiers," and just pay for it. And then, when soldiers came in, you'd basically give them that sponsored pie. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. In addition to that, people were able to actually have a direct connection to the soldier by buying an actual coupon, something tangible, and giving it directly to a soldier, and they can come redeem it for pizza. So they started knowing about it. Tell me a story that happened with that. Give me something cool that must have happened with that. So, Because it sounds like it blew your mind, and you were like, I'm staying here for a while. I want to see this. I want to experience this. I want to help this. This is wild. Oh, absolutely. So actually, one morning, I was in the shop at 10 o'clock in the morning, and this guy came in with his son, and he said... I'd like to buy for the soldiers some pizza. And I was like, okay, um, what are you looking for? And he said, well, you have these coupons. Can I see them? So I pulled out this booklet of coupons where essentially you buy one and we rip it off and they get it and we have a stub. That way we know which coupons go where. So that way we can actually send pictures to the donors, tell them what their pie actually did as a contribution. Mm. And he said, I want a whole booklet. I said, sir, that's a hundred pies of pizza. He said, my wife's going to be really proud of me. So I pulled out this whole booklet and I gave it to him. And I remember the workers in the back were like, oh my gosh, he just bought a whole booklet. We're going to have to make a hundred pies of pizza today. <laughs> we're screwed. <laughs> so in any case, he went out and he came back actually about an hour later and he's holding about 30 coupons. And he said, I found every single soldier I can find going through the tour and I still have 30. I don't know what to do with them. And I said, I'll tell you what, you leave them with me and we're going to take care of it for you. And he left them with us and we ended up giving them to a commander. And that week, Saturday night, they had pizza for the whole entire army base and everybody was drunk on pizza. Um, And it was, I mean, these were things that really made me feel like this is why I became a cook. This is why I went into the pizza business from, from the age of a child. And this sort of gave it to me like so much meaning. You know, my father did this when I was a kid. Yeah. You know, to pay tuition for us, he sponsored pizza for anyone who learned Torah by heart in the schools. The schools actually all had these programs for a study Torah by heart. Pizza coupons. And they had the pizza coupons post, when we were kids. Post Paris's time. That's correct. And we, we had pizza coupons. And I remember every time I'd get a pizza coupon in school, I'd be like, why am I doing this? I oh. actually don't have to pay for pizza. But this Just is one really- one slice of pizza to get to your soul. A hundred percent. Everybody knows pizza today is the American soul food. <laughs> Everyone knows that. This is this is put it on a t-shirt. Anyone who doesn't love pizza today, um, listen. I haven't eaten pizza in a while. Eating pizza in a while is where I'm holding my diet. But I have dreams of getting back to it one day. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, Zalmi. I think that's an awesome story, and I can totally see how like this idea of like taking yourself from the consumer end to the contribution end and bringing them together must have brought you great, great joy. Now I totally see why when you came back, you were just on a high for months. And uh, to be honest, this is aligns to what we were talking about in our Perm story. The Perm story of becoming Jew and identifying as your Jewish soul really was about this idea of the consumer alone, the, the, the consumption of the Jew get, was getting them in trouble. It was when they found their contribution that really made them appreciate not only what they're about, but the world to appreciate them and the growth that came from that. So this is a blessing to you that you should find 
exactly how to do that for the rest of your life. It's such a beautiful thing, and uh, I'm really inspired by that. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, and thank you for such a beautiful blessing. Oh, good times, man. Well, happy Purim, everyone. Yeah, happy Purim, everyone. (laughs) Happy Purim. Uh, A little cheese with that. He's such a clown. <laughs> yeah. Happy Perm, everyone. I hope to celebrate with you. If not this uh, Wednesday night and Thursday, uh, grab a little Lachayim, find some inner joy with who you are, and thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Kanan at Palette and Studios, for making our audio clear. Ali Adi